So Feanor. The most misunderstood character. Yeah, he's pretty much the most misunderstood character in Tolkien Legendary. Uh, we're gonna start with a little summary of who is Feanor. So he's the dad, he's the, he's the dad, he's the son. Feanor is the son of the... okay. Feanor was the son of the king of the Noldor and uh, of his first wife. When he was born, his wife died and uh, he ended up orphan and his dad remarried. And he got a lot of uh, resentment for, from that. He hated his, uh, his stepmother and all of his uh, stepfamily, most notably his little brother Fingolfin. Uh, he was a genius. He created the Silmarils, three, three shiny stones which captures the light of the, of the two trees of Valinor, and he invented the Elvish uh, script. He also created a whole bunch of things, among them uh, the Palantir, the scene stones that, uh, that are used in Lord of the Rings, and also called the Fëanor. At some point, uh, Melkor, the the evil guy, uh, starts starts riling up the uh, the Noldor. He gets them. He gets them to. He, yeah. He worsens their their split and uh, and exacerbates their their hatred for each other's. And you get Feno and uh, Fingolfin leading two factions. They start arming themselves. And at one point, Feno threatens Fingolfin with his sword. Uh, later in, uh, Feno is invited to a, re a reconciliation feast with uh, Fingolfin, and that's when Melko that's when uh, and in this night Melko uh, brings down the two trees. He'll, all of Valinor is leveled up, is leveled in darkness, and he steals the Silmarils and kills Finwë, the Fëanor's dad. Fëanor is rightfully angry against Melkor and against the Valar tree. He convinces all of the Noldor to leave the to leave Valinor and turn back to Middle Earth, and that's the beginning of the exile of the Noldor. In this exile, there, he kills another group of elves and steals their boats. Then he. Then he abandons his brother and, uh, and, his, and his brother's host in the Helkaraxe, Helkaraxe, no, the grinding ice, and crosses to, over to Middle-earth. So, why is Fëanor misunderstood? Fëanor is pretty much an asshole from the beginning to the end. Like, he is an asshole to everyone, to his family, to, uh, to the Valar, to his dad, to his stepfamily. But why do people love him? So I would take a little bit of umbrage with the statement that Feanor was just an undiluted asshole. Um, he was. He was. Uh, in his actions and in his words and in his general disposition, he was problematic to say the least. But my stance on Feanor has always been that he was sort of in a unique position. He was unique in the sense that, yes, he was the most gifted of all the elves and the most powerful and the only one to understand, you know, start to learn the speech of the Valar and to be able to capture the light of the trees and the greatest craftsman and yada yada. But he was also unique in that among all of the elves of Valinor, he was the only one who knew really grief in the sense that his mother had died and was never coming back and Finway got a new wife, which is great, but Feanor can't exactly get a new mother. So 
Feanor, I think, is uniquely a jerk because he's uniquely singled out by fate for misfortune. And I think that that plays into a lot of why he's so easily seduced, not not necessarily in a uh, romantic way, but in a moral way by Morgoth telling him that he deserves better. Because I think on some level he does deserve better. And I think if you leave out the impact of not only like, yes, okay, he lost his mother, so sad, cry and get over it, but nobody else in Valinor understands that experience because he's the only one who's lived through it. So I think we can, you know, cut him cut him some slack and admit that he was suffering from a unique degree of early trauma and maybe he should, you know, maybe we should consider that everything he did was not actually wrong. Yeah, and I think it's a major problem is like that really Fianos action led to some good things. Like he said himself, like he at least he's fighting against Melkor instead of staying in Valinor, and that in the end uh, Vela will follow him, and of course the, the Noldor that he leads, ba leads back to Middle-earth end up basically like, at least uh, containing Melkor for centuries, and like basically they, they can take the, the first men under their wing and educate them, and like basically save them from Melkor's corruption, so Fernos actions like led to a lot of good, but at least how the actions are framed in, in Tolkien's world is that uh, like the, the, the idea, of course, is that what Manwe also states that evil, because <clears throat> that the world, uh, the way the world is created, everything, everything evil, like eventually leads to something good. Like evil can't, evil can't ever win because everything will turn to good in the end, and then Mandos, of course. States that the evil remains evil. So just or in in Middle Earth or in Arda generally, the it's not really about the only about the consequences of the actions that determine whether it's good or bad. But like it's the the nature of the actions themselves. Like murder is bad, and killing someone to steal to steal their ships is bad. So that even if that leads to good consequences, that doesn't really doesn't really <clears throat> redeem the, those actions. And of course, a lot of people might might view that differently. They might say, but uh, in the end, he, he accomplished something and that's more, that's that counts for something at least. Like that does make him not evil in a way. While the, at least the view that Tolkien put into the mouth of the, the gods of his world, uh, one of some of the most wisest characters, they seem to think that the, uh, outcome doesn't really change the nature of the action. Alright, so I'm proposing that Gandalf is a lot more misunderstood than people might consider. And I'm not talking so much about his personality or his character traits, because I think that that's pretty well depicted in Lord of the Rings overall and in The Hobbit. Um, I'm more referring to his motivations, his goals, what he can and can't do and why. So... Gandalf is a wizard. He's one of the five wizards. He's opposed to Saruman, who was originally supposed to be the head wizard, but then started going down the path of unrighteousness and sort of lost his moral authority in that matter. And Gandalf, most people probably know something about this. Gandalf's originally a Maya, same order as Sauron or Melian. He's sort of this angelic spirit who was sent to Middle-earth 
out of the Blessed Realm to provide support and encouragement along with four other companions. They were, became known as the Wizards, but they're not humans, they're not elves, they're Maiar, they're sort of angelic, and their their incarnation is a little bit different than than the typical situation we find with the children of Eru. So one of the big things about Gandalf is that he's only supposed to offset the unfair advantage that Sauron has. He's not supposed to be out there trying to win the war against Sauron for his own sake or for his own motives. This is the trap that Saruman falls into. People think that Saruman got corrupted by Sauron, and, and he did. He definitely did. But people tend to forget that Saruman's still opposed to Sauron. He's still trying to beat Sauron. He wants to overcome Sauron and set things up in a way that he thinks is going to be fairer and better for everyone. And that's the problem. He's not supposed to be in it for his own sake. So Gandalf doesn't really have any skin in the game in the sense that the men and the elves do, where if Sauron takes over Middle-earth, that's it for them, and they basically have to live under his rule and... It's just like that's their home is gone. Middle Earth isn't Gandalf's home. He can he kind of has an out, which makes it all the more interesting that he stays as committed as he does. I think it makes it cooler in a way because he he doesn't have to be here fighting this fight. He stays because he cares so much about a land that's not really his native home and people who aren't really his people. You'll hear sometimes people wondering, well, if Gandalf knows this, then why doesn't he do that? Or what if Gandalf had done this? Or what's Gandalf's plan? And I think that they're kind of misunderstanding what he is supposed to be doing. He's not supposed to be demonstrating the full extent of his power. He's just supposed to be supporting and encouraging the men and kind of the elves a little bit, but their time's more or less over in defeating Sauron. And we see this because he tends to oppose creatures that have a supernatural amount of fear or the capacity to instill fear. So he's just there to offer that little bit of offset and to offer encouragement and support, but he's not really there to fight the battle for himself or for his own sake. He's just there in a helper role. And I think that that kind of complicates our understanding of him as this mastermind. He's, you know, he's very smart and he's powerful and he has a plan to defeat Sauron, which is part of his mission, but it's a little bit of a different flavor than just and here is Gandalf and just like the men of Gondor, he wants to defeat Sauron. He does want to defeat Sauron, but it's for different reasons than probably the poor Gondorians have. I think it's like basically Lord of the Rings, Gandalf is the exception and Hobbit Gandalf is the norm. And Hobbit Gandalf doesn't really like he he rescues them in the from the goblin cave, but generally he he has his own things to do. He disappears a lot. Doesn't really doesn't really solve any solve any of the of the main <clears throat> main issues in the plot himself. And like yeah, of that's... course in, in Lord of the Rings he's even like of course he leads the fellowship, he fights the Balrog, but after that he's getting left the white and I think that's a bit of a of, of maybe where the confusion comes from that people tend to forget that Gandalf the Grey is a very different thing. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the main thing, um, Lex, I think from your argument was that it's the I think you're saying it's the intentions behind um, G um, Gandalf's reasoning for having to save the three peoples of Middle Earth, for example, that even in the Fellowship itself, even when we look at them, there's probably a lot of different motives 
of course we had Boromir, um, and you, I know you, you did mention the Gondorians as well. So is that the thing you were trying to take from that, is that Gandalf was of course sent from the west, uh, not, yeah, from the west, um, in order to help the free peoples and to make, and they were each, each five of the Astari were given in their own role, we know, um, the blue wizards, we don't have to be something to do with some um, risings in the east. We, we talking and expand on it, but each of them were given their own set role, and it's more of the um, it's the reasonings Gandalf did want to go and help these three people. There's difference to, for example, maybe even um, the Numenorean elves, or even the hobbits. Yeah, and I think the, the hobbits were just also just personal, personal favorites of Gandalf. Like, mm-hmm. he might have like a bit, might have had a bit of a hunch that they that they had potential, they could be something more, but he didn't really like he didn't start to hang out in the Shire because he thought they would be important for his mission, but because he liked it there. Mm-hmm, maybe. But maybe do you think you could say that due to his love, um and and well not we'll say love, but like his respect for the hobbits and seeing these tiny falcon and seeing potentially what um Sauron might do if he does succeed and um for example we know about the scouring of the Shire what's if that happened but to a higher extent do you think maybe Lexi that could maybe counter that oh he had a completely different view he was in set there from the get-go but then after seeing what effects for example it could have on the hobbits and may have actually made it more personal for him do you think I think to an extent yes I think his affection for the hobbits is a very personal thing he's friends with bilbo and later with frodo and he that's just that he he is their friend he cares about the hobbits and he cares about the shire he likes it and he wouldn't want it to see it harm the the difference i think is that for frodo and for the hobbits if the shire is taken over that's it they kind of have to stay there so for them it's the question of defeating Sauron is very much an existential one. Now, who who knows how much Gandalf remembers of his time in the West that is forgotten, he says, because there seems to be a little bit of an amnesia that's put on the wizards before they're sent out to additionally further limit their power beyond what they are doing voluntarily. But for Gandalf, he he knows that he's not really from here. He can get out of it if he wants, which is why him sticking around even to the point of destruction of his physical form with the Balrog, I think it makes it all the more interesting and poignant. And I think too that Gandalf has a sensitivity to the way the the way the history of Middle Earth works and its patterns and it tends to be very often the case that it's the weakest and smallest and unexpected people that tend to have a disproportionate effect on the course of history. So I think he's maybe, you know, a little sens- more sensitive to that than others and that's why he sees value in the hobbits where people other people even very wise people would overlook it. Mhm mhm. I uh, yeah. I understand yeah. Mm, yeah, so I think for me one of the <clears throat> very misunderstood characters is Frodo and mainly like of course there he's such a big character and has a lot of focus in, in Lord of the Rings, so there's probably many minor misunderstandings, but like the main two I'd like to focus on is one like his his view on, on Gollum and why he trusts him and then of course the uh, his inability to throw the ring into the fire at Mount Doom. So so with Gollum I think a lot of people kind of like they either think Frodo is very he's either either just like totally desperate like he 
he doesn't trust uh, Gollum at all, but he just sees no other option to get into Mordor because Gollum knows the way and they don't. Or they think maybe like the, the ring has already clouded his mind and influenced him, so the ring is like tricking Frodo into trusting Gollum, so their quest fails. Or just that Frodo's kind of just naive and like has just thinks, oh, he isn't really used to people lying to him, but I think it's like one of the important factors that Gollum and Frodo are very like they're the only the only two like of course Bilbo had the ring for a while, but with how heavy the ring uh, bears down on Frodo and how long Gollum had it, like they are really the only two people in the world that had that experience of like <clears throat> the ring trying to trying to influence them and bearing it like it becoming such a heavy burden for them. So really Frodo can see <clears throat> sees Gollum as like a possible future for himself. Like if Frodo just kept the ring, he would become what Gollum is. And so Frodo kind of in a way has to one has to hope that uh, that Gollum is like redeemable because if Gollum isn't redeemable, Frodo can't really have hope for his future. And uh, in another sense, like Frodo kind of uh, understands Gollum or Smeagol in that sense that there is a potential for for redemption. Like the, the stairs of Kirithangol, uh, Frodo, uh, uh, Gollum, like almost like he he almost looks like a like an old an old hobbit again. Like he he cares for Frodo and he's almost almost uh, like store or almost comes to a point where he wouldn't lead them into into uh, into Shilob's trap. Like Frodo uh, almost succeeded in turning turning Gollum around at least. Like that Smeagol would uh, gain the upper hand in a sense, but. In the end, because uh, Sam wakes up and like uh, tells Gollum to get away from Frodo, and generally just some bullies Gollum a lot. Like that, what was what prevented Gollum from turning good? So in a, w a way, it's a, a self uh, self fulfilling prophecy. Like Sam bullies Gollum because he thinks Gollum will betray them, and because Sam bullies Gollum, Gollum goes through with his with his plan to betray them. And uh, like that, it's Frodo is just <clears throat> Frodo isn't just totally wrong. Like he had a legitimate chance to redeem redeem Gollum. Like at least in at least in some sense, like that he Gollum would at least feel feel remorse about trying to take the ring. And then of course the other part is like people questioning why Frodo couldn't throw it in, like and how that was like a, a surprise, but really in. Like Frodo couldn't even uh, toss the ring into the the <clears throat> the half at back end when Gandalf wanted to check out if it if you if it's <clears throat> the ring has uh, glowing signs on it if you heat it up so I think most people or uh, Gandalf especially kind of expects uh, Frodo to not be able to throw the ring in himself and Tolkien wrote in a letter essentially that it would be impossible for basically anyone at that point that to throw it in that Frodo was just unable to do it, like he hadn't didn't really have a choice at that point and that he that Frodo even got that far. That's what 
made him so special and then of course because you know, it's the the way the this the world works if <clears throat> that the because Frodo struggled so hard and summoned everyone to to get the ring to that point like the the last uh, the last meter that's missing that they can't do on their own they basically uh, fade in fade in a way helps them out because you know if you it's like the the moral lesson like if you try everything everything in your power to defeat evil you even if you're not able to defeat evil yourself then uh, fate itself will will help you out in a way because that's the world the way god created the world so i think one of the problems with frodo's uh pop culture image is that he's frequently seen as being very vulnerable and very weak because one of the most memorable things about Frodo is how the ring wears him down to being this nearly corrupted shadow of his former self that's just in constant torment. So that's very vivid and that tends to stick with people and they maybe tend to overlook all the times before the ring takes full control that Frodo really demonstrates a lot of courage and forthrightness and even a little bit of sort of well-deserved pride maybe or or confidence almost um when he's talking to the elves for example in the woody end or when he meets Faramir later on he is able to switch into a more elevated speech register for them he's not just he, he can be a simple hobbit from of the shire for sure that's part of who he is but that's not the whole story he's very well educated he has a good sense of himself and he's one among the braver and more intelligent inhabitants of the shire so he is a hobbit but he's an exceptional hobbit and that capacity of his to recognize in gollum his potentially his own future and his own fate and to react with pity and with the decision to hope that there is some hope for both him and gollum that is what allows fate to save them at the last minute because of course Gollum is the one who tackles Frodo and jumps into the fire and that wouldn't have been possible if Frodo had done really the sane sensible thing and just killed Gollum when they caught him before they really entered Mordor so yeah his relationship with Gollum is sort of he doesn't walk into it blindly. He knows that there's a very good chance that Gollum's going to betray them. He knows that he's dangerous, but at the same time, he also sees that he is he has a potential to be redeemed, which he he does. It ultimately it's not a potential that's fulfilled, but the potential is there. And the fact that Frodo probably one of few people in Middle-earth who has the capacity to recognize that and probably only because Gandalf told him about it earlier. That is what allows Frodo to save the day, paradoxically, even though he himself can't ultimately destroy the ring. Because as you pointed out, no one can. Yeah, I think it's comparable like to the, the Council of Elrond. Like Elrond and Gandalf don't really or like they know that that's a very there's a very high chance their plan will fail, but they it's the best best thing they can do, so they try anyway. Like somewhat similar to Frodo. Yeah, just Trusting, trusting Gollum, like he's the only shot, <clears throat> like the only shot he has is if he, like, doesn't isn't overly suspicious and tries to, like, 
you can't really minimize minimize the risks without ruining his only chance. Like the the Council of Aaron decides to just centering into Mordor, which is like they can't really they can't really like take make precautions to keep it as safe as possible. They just have to risk everything for the small chance to succeed. Because they have hope that in the end uh, fate or doom or God or how you ever want to call it is with them. Mm-hmm. And um Lexi, do you think it is unfair when maybe some people say that um Frode failed his task or he still wasn't able to um cast the ring into the fire. Do you think it, that is that is not really fair because it is kind of fated in a way? Well I think you have to walk very carefully here because to say that Frodo was unheroic or that it wasn't him that saved Middle-earth, it was, you know, it was really Sam or whatever, mm-hmm. or it was Aragorn. That is not accurate at all. Frodo demonstrates substantial heroism and it is ultimately his choices that make him, again, probably unique of all the creatures in Middle-earth, able to get the ring that far without succumbing to it and then having made the right choices beforehand that, like Florian said, allowed for some sort of destined or divine intervention. Like he said, at the Council of Elrond, they're choosing between five courses that have a 100% chance of failure and one course that has a 99.9% chance of failure. And so, um, so Frodo really shouldn't have been able to make it as far as he did, and the fact that he did is astonishing and should certainly be lauded. But at the same time, he did fail at the end. To to minimize that, I think, is doing a disservice to the moral of the story, with part of which is sometimes no matter what you do or how hard you try, you're just not going to be able to get there on your mm-hmm, own. Mm-hmm, and I yeah. think Tolkien himself mentioned that this is a moment of failure for Frodo. So it's, it's an excusable failure, definitely, and it doesn't discount all that comes before. But there's some people who say, oh, no, Frodo didn't fail. It's like, well, I mean... He took the ring and put it on his finger and said, the ring is mine, which was kind of the one thing we were trying to avoid. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. There's both sides to it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that is why it is one of the men- uh, things that is mentioned on this list. I'll just throw out there that, as you referenced earlier, there's any number of characters that you could argue are misunderstood. Tolkien's tends to have fairly dense ideas that are very subtly expressed. So the potential to oversimplify characters and miss an important point is something that I'm always watching myself for, Um, constantly kind of going back and checking against the letters to see like, okay, it seems like Frodo's doing this, and yeah, that kind of fits here, but to just assume that you have read enough about Boromir, for example, to know everything that's going on with him just from a cursory examination, typically there's more under-the-surface just in general with Tolkien than what first meets the eye. And I'm constantly being sort of surprised by ways that I've viewed characters in the past that don't really fit with how Tolkien was trying to make arguments with them. I think we still have in today's video given three potential characters that we thought um, could fit quite well with the topic. Please let us know in the comments below. We'll also do a poll on um, Twitter, but um just to think about what you guys think is out of these three the most um the most misunderstood so yeah 
But I think it's been again a really interesting discussion. I think the especially the one around Frodo as well was really interesting. But firstly, um, thank you, Florian. You're welcome. I think it's <clears throat> nice, nice topic for once. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like for, like it's very bit different from what we had before, but probably my favorite so far. Yeah, it's been mostly around Sauron so far. But either way, thank you, Lexi. Always a pleasure. And um, thank you to the man himself, I'm so.